Today's episode of Your Stories is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad, so enjoy the show! Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hi everyone, I'm Eric Garneau, and you're listening to part one of the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories podcast, featuring the theme Catch Me If You Can, which marks our second annual team-up with the folks behind International Tom Hanks Day. For this special episode, we moved the show to the lounge at the excellent Logan Theater in Logan Square, and man, we had a blast basking in the love of Tom Hanks, travel, and being caught. Uh, this episode... You'll hear from Tom Hanks Day founder Chris Petro, plus local performers and friends Kyle Talley, Val Zawada, Liz Larimore, and Kaylin Bennett. You'll also get music from myself, Dwight Hassler, Katie Johnson-Smith, and Kaylin as well. Uh, there are a few plugs you'll hear in the live audio, so I'll keep the plug section light up top. But I do want to mention, of course, that International Tom Hanks Day is coming up on Saturday, April 1st at Lincoln Hall. For more info on that, check out thetomhanksday.com. Also, if you really like this show you're listening to, a super cool thing you can do to help is rate and review us on iTunes. That makes a big difference and helps other people find our thing, which is nice. You know, we want people to listen. Uh, for more info on the Nerdalogs and what we're up to, you can check us out online at www.nerdalogs.com, on Facebook at facebook.com nerdalogs, and on Patreon at patreon.com nerdalogs. And remember, Nerdalogs is spelled... With an O, nerdologs, not nerdologs. Uh, you know that that confusion happens a lot, even with some of my very best friends. Guys, knock it off. It's with an O. Uh, either way, we very much appreciate your support, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, come back next week for more Tom Hanks. Oh, this man, this guy really needed to be caught and told, like, hey, like, it's cool, man. You don't need to be so angsty. <laughs> It's cool. I like this band a lot. One, two, one, two, three, four.
second show we played where there's a couch instead of chairs, and I, I am a fan of the couch. <laughs> I like the couch. Uh, this is a song by a lady that I had the pleasure of seeing in concert last week. Her name is Nikki Lane. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, God, you Nikki. guys know who she is. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, there are Nikki Lane fans in the crowd. Uh, you know, you, she is so under the radar that you can't find her tabs online. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, that was an Eric problem earlier. <laughs> Uh, but not a Katie problem. Uh, let's do a song called <laughs> Gone, Gone, Gone. Woo! One, two, one, two, three, four.
You're not just here to listen to us, though. We have nine awesome storytellers tonight who are here to reflect on the theme, Catch Me If You Can, in some way. The stories might involve Tom Hanks, they might not. Whatever, we're here to support everybody and have a great time. So, uh, with all that said, we are here because of International Tom Hanks Day. Very surreptitious, Dwight, I like that a lot. Um... So Katie works with, uh, with folks who are, are connected to International Tom Hanks Day, and she also is like the world's biggest Tom Hanks fan that I know. <laughs> this sexy Woody doll is hers, this picture is hers, this Simpsons Tom Hanks action figure. She was like, how much Tom Hanks stuff should I bring to the show tonight? And me and Dwight were like, probably don't need to bring any, and then she brought three or four things. So. I, I left a lot at home. <laughs> she left a lot at home. Uh, and right now we have one of the founders of International Tom Hanks Day uh, to come to the stage. We did this last year. It was awesome. Can't wait to hear from Mr. Chris Petro. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having us. Good nice save. Catch. Yeah. <laughs> Speedy man. Um, so uh, I get up in front of people once a year for this thing, so it's be fun. Um, ever since I was 12 years old, I've often made a repeated claim about myself, and Kevin, what is that claim? That you're the fastest man alive. That I'm the fastest man alive. <laughs> and I know you're thinking, this body doesn't look very athletic, and he's kind of short, but don't be deceived by my five foot seven frame. I'm built low to the ground for speed. <laughs> so remember in Forrest Gump when... Young Forrest is being chased by the bullies, and there's that scene where he's got the leg braces on, and he dramatically runs away, and they fly away, and from that point forward, he's incredibly fast the rest of his life. I, too, have a similar story. <laughs> without the leg braces, without being chased by southern racists, but it's a little similar. <laughs> so back in the early 90s, some of you guys may remember this, um, every year at elementary schools, they, did, they conducted the presidential fitness exam. Um, it was in gym class, and it was one week period, and it's the one week where 50% of the kids get to look forward to coming to school and being ridiculed and shamed by the other half of the class. <laughs> it's also where 100% of the kids would leave at the end of the week with a red rash between their legs right here from climbing the rope swing and sliding down. <laughs> well, my school, God bless their souls, took it one step further, and at the end of the week, they bust out all the kids to the local high school field and they had a field day. So all the elementary schools competed against each other, um, what was terribly organized track and field events. And since these short legs aren't ideal for the long jump or the high jump, and these arms aren't quite shot put material, I was just put in a random four-person relay race. So the race began, and instantly my team was far behind. So by the time they handed me the baton at the end of the last leg of the race, um, I basically was like, all right, let's do it. And I blacked out and I ran as fast as I possibly could. <laughs> so as I crossed the finish line and collapsed onto the field, my teammates ran over and they were like, we won. My teacher also ran over, probably to make sure that they never lost it on their hands that they killed a fifth grader. <laughs> but she saw that I was conscious and she's like, wow, you're really fast. And from that point forward, started the fastest man alive. <laughs> Actually, no one really gave a shit, but I walked around from that point forward for years claiming I was the fastest man alive and that I could beat anybody in a race. <laughs> and of course, I'm not an idiot. I never made any claims that I could beat somebody in a race in a scenario where I'd actually have to race. I do it where like, we're on a long distance driving a car, if we're on a boat or something like that. <laughs> so years passed and I successfully defended my title. <laughs> and then came college, and my freshman year, I was uh, finishing first in a rousing game of Edward Forty Hands. <laughs> and as I untaped two King Cobras from both my hands and looked at my roommate, I said, not only can I kick your ass in Edward Forty Hands, I can beat your ass in a race. <laughs> well, 30 minutes later, I found myself out in the parking lot of our dormitory, and I had to race for the first time in seven years. <laughs> so let's just skip ahead to the 2008 Summer Olympics. <laughs> so, myself and Kevin were sitting on the couch about eight or nine PBRs deep. Um, we were watching Phelps kill it in the pool, and I turned to Kevin, and I was like, you know, Michael Phelps is fast in the pool, but I could whoop his ass on land. <laughs> so, Kevin's like, we argued about speed for about ten minutes, and then 
we decided to go outside and our girlfriends took toilet paper and from car to car in the middle of the street, made a finish line, and we both took our marks and took off racing. Well, let's flash forward again. Just a few years ago, I went to the Upper Peninsula. I've never been to Upper Peninsula. It's beautiful. Um, for my friend Pat's 30th birthday. Um, and we spent the entire day drinking on the lake. And at the end um, of drinking, we came back to the cabin. And I told Pat, you know, that he was too old to drink with us young bucks. And he should quit. And he also could never compete with me in a race. Well... We piled in the car, we drove out to the end of the property, we fired up the uh, headlights on the uh, road, and me and Pat raced. So I know you're thinking, okay, Chris, what happened in those three races? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what happened. I learned two things about myself. <laughs> Number one, sprinting at full speed with a belly full of cheap beer, shitty idea. <laughs> And the second thing I learned about myself, I'm the fourth fastest man alive. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you so much, Chris Petro. Chris, do you want to race after this? I bet, I bet you could, you could claim, uh, hold on to that fourth fastest man alive title if we race. Although Wally West is one of my heroes, so I don't know. That's the Flash, guys. This is the Nerdalogs. Hey! Yeah! All right, so coming up next to the stage... We have a, a Your Stories champion. He's done this show a lot of times, and I'm going to be honest, about 75% of the time, I'm pretty sure he's told a version of a slash fiction story where he's hooking up with Gambit. I don't know what's in store for tonight, but please, with that in mind, let's all welcome Kyle Talley. Yeah. Thanks, bud. You're welcome. <laughs> I just cheered myself. I was like, woo! <laughs> Trying to open my phone, it's not doing it. So, uh, I'm I, like originally when I uh, contacted the Nerdlogs about asking if I could do uh, a, a story in the show, I was going to talk about uh, my my favorite two Tom Hanks movies, uh, That Thing You Do and uh, You've Got Mail, uh, which are movies that like really allowed me to like bond with my mom. Uh, no, no, like you laugh, but I'm serious. Like, it, like me and my mom like have a very tempestuous relationship and so like uh, those movies are very like paramount to like our relationship but um, but recently uh, last Tuesday something happened in my real day IRL life that is very catch me if you can uh, and so I I thought I would relate that story to you guys so uh, Tuesday at like 10 o'clock, this is, if this was like 24, it would be Tuesday, 10 o'clock. Uh, I'm in my bathroom, uh, getting high, taking a shower. Uh, which is like, fairly consistent of my mornings. Um, cause I work at 3.30. Um, so I'm, I'm taking a shower, and my roommate Drew knocks on the door. And, and he's like, Hey, dude, yeah, is it you in there? And I say, yes, yes, it's me. Of course it's me. Who, would it, who else would it be at, like, 10 o'clock on a Tuesday? It's not like, you know, we live with another person, but he goes to work real early. So it would have to be me. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, I think, wow, that's weird. Like, why is Drew, like, Drew's about to go out of town. Why is he, why is he asking if, if it's me in the shower? Um... So I, I continue to like take the shower, uh, and then I get out and I I check my phone and I'm like, oh wow, I have like three missed calls from my parents and two texts and I'm like, oh shit, somebody died, <laughs> like somebody's dead, like you know, like you get that call, like it's like, oh, you know, your folks they don't call like multiple times unless somebody's like seriously injured or like. Your parents are my parents. Um, so so I, I, I call my dad, and I'm like, hey, hey, what's going on? And he's like, Kyle, where are you? And I'm like, I am in my bathroom. Uh, and he's like, oh, man, son, you wouldn't believe it. Your grandparents got a call this morning. Somebody saying you were in jail. <laughs> and I'm like, no. That's... Psh. No. And he's like, yeah. He's like, son, prom promise me nothing's wrong. Like, you're not in jail, are you? <laughs> and I'm like, no, no. I'm, I'm like, 
I am naked in my bathroom, talking to you on the phone. Yeah, get a get a picture of that. Here. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, well, your mother is over your grandparents' house, and they are just freaking out. Your your grandfather has nearly lost his mind. He, they are just so worried about you. And I'm like, well, I will call them. So I, I, I get off the phone, and I call my mom on her cell phone, and, and, and she's just like, son, where are you? And I'm like, Mom, I am, I am at the house. I am. She's like, oh, thank God. Someone called your grandparents and said that you were in a car with, with marijuana. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and that you, you had gotten arrested. And I was like, well, and she was like, here, just, just, just speak to your grandmother. And so I, I get the story from my grandmother. She's, she explains that like somebody called. And uh, first, they, they put me on the phone, uh, and I know, I was like, no, I didn't do that. Uh, and they explained that, like, I had been driving around with somebody, and they had found weed in the car, and I was like, ooh, that is a very close estimation. <laughs> like, I don't have need for a car. If I'm driving around, it's like with an Uber, and like, at that point, I know my rights, and I'm a white man, so I'm not going to fu- get fucked with, like... <laughs> The reality of our society, folks. I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm just reflecting. So uh, they, 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 and and then then my grandmother then says, "Oh well, you know that's that's when I knew something was up because it didn't sound like you." And I was like, "Well, what what did they say?" And she said, "They said, oh well, I had a bad cold, and that's also a very like because I get colds." A lot. So that's a very... These guys were... They did their research. And, and so at that point, like, they, they, they put up another guy on the phone. He was a police officer. And I, I was making my one call, and I had to... They had to wire $10,000 to a bank account to, to, for a lawyer, or else, like, I was going to get sent to someplace, like the jail. The jail of no return. Uh, and... So they, they and, and the person they spoke with initially was my grandfather, who is 87 years old, and he is not necessarily uh, the most cohesive. I, and so after she explained that entire story to me, he gets on the phone and he he I'm gonna do an impression of him because this is it's kind of funny. <laughs> he so he has a very deep southern drawl and he is very gravelly in nature. It's very hard to understand me. He's like cow. <laughs> Said, now, son, son, I want you to swear to me that you aren't in jail right now. And I was like, Papa, I, it's Mimi and Papa, by the way, if you were wondering. That's what I, I referred to. I was like, Papa, I'm, I'm not, I swear to you, I'm not in jail. Even if I was, I'd have to be carrying more than 10 grams to even get a, more than a $200 ticket. <laughs> And so, you know, we're good. And my grandmother was like, see, I thought that. I thought that. She, she's like, 10 grams is an awful lot. And I was like, Mimi knows. <laughs> so I, I, I swore to him. And, and you know, they, finally they, they calmed down. And they, 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 they explained, you know, thankfully they didn't send any money. You know, Mimi had enough sense to say that. That doesn't sound like Kyle. And also she was like, they, they, they made a point of saying like, oh, we didn't want to tell, they, the reason they didn't call my folks was like, oh, I didn't want them to know, which was like the opposite of the case. I would never want my grandparents to know that I was arrested for weed, but like, I don't give a fuck with my parents now. Uh, and, and so like, that, that was big red flag. And so she, she didn't pay them out. But uh, thankfully, you know, not, nothing bad happened. So I have moral of the story is, folks, if you have grandparents or very gullible parents, warn them about people out there who are trying to solicit money for you being, like, DUI or getting high or whatever. And, and, and the second thing, we, I, I have a buddy who actually is on the police force back home in Richmond, Virginia, where I'm from, and I had him trace the number. And the number was... And to Beverly Hills, California, enlisted to a Barry Allen. <laughs> comic books! <laughs> comic books! He's a kid, he reads comic books! That's right, folks, 2002's Leonardo DiCaprio was scamming my grandparents. <laughs> Alright, thanks so much. I'm sorry. <laughs>
by the way, by the way, uh, on April 26th at this very uh, venue, we are premiering uh, uh, a web series that I myself and, and my sketch group and the, the guys that we work with, uh, the Street Wears is Apprentice. We're premiering that, so if you guys are interested and thought I was funny or thought anything of that, please come out and see it. Uh, and yeah, that's it. Thank you, Kyle. Kyle Kelly, free man. Ladies and gentlemen, I was going to plug that for you, Kyle, but then he took care of it. Uh, yeah. I realized I should have said that Barry Allen was one of my heroes because that's the reference in the Tom Hanks movie, but you guys, I grew up with Wally West. All right, this is the Nerdalogs. I love Wally West. Anyway, coming next to the stage, we have a newcomer to this show. She is uh, freshly back in the United States after a graduate school ten uh, stay in Ireland where she studied arts development and looking to kind of do some of that in Chicago. So if maybe you guys need some help. Uh, she worked with me at a show at the Cards Against Humanity Theater. She was super great. So let me talk to this lady. This is Val Zawada. <laughs> Um, when I was asked to do the show, I was kind of like, oh, I've never met Tom Hanks. I don't know what we're talking about. Um, but I was like, okay, catch me if you can. So like, all right, I got this. Um, so my story is a story about catching across continents and all that kind of thing. Um, lots of planes, traveling, and potential misconnections. So I have been fortunate enough to travel a good bit. Um, as Eric mentioned, I just got back from Ireland with my master's Slantia. and <laughs> Slantia, yes. <laughs> uh, and I was also able to study abroad in undergrad in the Czech Republic in Prague. Um, so there was this one place in Prague that I was just unwilling to go to. And at some point, everyone travels differently and that's fine. But at some point, the tourists who are in Prague were just not content with the amazing history of the city and the untouched, you know, medieval buildings and everything. No, no, we wanted a nightclub, and not only a nightclub, we wanted it to be a themed nightclub and five levels. Each level, <laughs> different theme. So uh, one night, my friends and I were kind of hanging out, and we're like, where should we go? There's not really much going on. You know, who's always open? The five level club. <laughs> so um, we go to this club, I just dragged there, and I was on level four, which was tolerable. And uh, across the room, there's this tall, dark-haired man, and our eyes meet. We kind of boogie towards each other, and it's like instant connection, fate, like meant to be. Um, and this is totally PG story, I promise. Only kissing. <laughs> uh, I may have ran my hand along his abs while kissing, but that's it. I promise. Um, but this man's name was Richard. Richard was Swiss, and uh, in Switzerland they have a draft. So everybody goes in, and at the end of your training, this is important later, uh, you're issued a pistol and a rifle. And this is like yours to take care of for the rest of your life. Um, it's kind of like your societal obligation to defend Switzerland should, the, should you need. And I also learned that the tunnels into Switzerland are lined with explosives. So if there's ever an invasion, they can just blow them up. Um, Fun fact. <laughs> so Richard and I, you know, kind of kept talking. He was there for just three days. We went on a date every day. He was quiet and he spoke different languages and funny and, and smart. Uh, and he went back to Switzerland. And this was very romantic and very real to me as an undergrad student. And I was like, I have to go to Switzerland. So I booked a flight to Switzerland at the end of April. And um, the weekend came up and my good friend was there and she was like, I'm actually going back home early for graduation. Um, you know, I'm, and I was like, I have to spend time with my friend. Like, this is just a nice Prague memory. It's all right. So I told Richard, he was fine with it, but he had this dream to drive a motorcycle down the East coast of the United States, like no itinerary, just <laughs> kind of see where the road took him. And he's like, I'm going to do this in August and I'll come see you. And I was like, that's great, but America's really big. Um, and I won't even be in Chicago. I'll be in Iowa for school. And he was like, that's okay. I'm, I'll come. I'll come. And I was like, okay, great. Um, so knowing that they weren't going to have Wi-Fi on the road and it was kind of going to be flexible itinerary, um, gave him my address. And I said, just show up whenever, you know, it's fine. Um, but the day came and I just kind of knew, you know, he wasn't going to come. And I was like, oh, man, like, it's just not meant to be. 
So it's all right. I had things to look forward to. My 21st birthday was coming up. It was my last year of undergrad. Uh, and we were in my basement at my birthday party playing beer pong. And um, one of my friends came downstairs and said, Val, someone's here to see you. And I was like, okay. It was Richard. So he had booked a flight and drove a car and found me and even brought a case of Budweiser to celebrate with us. Um, and again, totally PG. Like, we went out dancing. He crashed on my couch. And the next morning, we had to say goodbye to each other. And, like, we just knew, like, you know, this was it. This was kind of the end. Very bittersweet. Um, but there was this wonderful light coming through the trees in September and maybe there's some music playing somewhere and I was just like oh thank you so much you know like it's just please don't forget me and one of my favorite thing about Richard was this philosophy he's had and it was people always meet twice so that's what he said I told you people always meet twice and if all of this wasn't enough and, and romantic enough for me the next thing he said was the most romantic thing anyone has ever told me so He's walking back to his car and he turned around and there's this sunlight kind of hitting him and he said, don't worry, I won't forget you. I'm gonna name my pistol Valerie. <laughs> <laughs> so, when World War III happens and there's an invasion into Switzerland and the tunnels of entry are being blown up, Richard and Valerie will be hand in hand fighting for fight. <laughs> Switzerland sounds like a really safe place to be. You guys you should, you should go to Switzerland. That's amazing. Damn, what a cool story. That was very nice. Thank you, Val. Welcome back. Coming next to the stage, we have another uh, returning champ from last year's Tom Hanks Day show. She told a story about growing up in the town that uh, Forrest Gump was uh, was shot in and kind of the, I don't know, the experiences that come with disappointing tourists who go there, uh, which is awesome. Let's hear from Liz Larimore. <laughs> I got added this kind of late in the game, um, so I missed the Catch Me If You Can memo. <laughs> uh, this does relate to Tom Hanks, though. Um, I happened to watch Castaway by chance last week, um, which was pretty uh, fortuitous after coming off of recent island vacation and right before Tom Hanks Day. Um, so I kind of related it to that. Uh, let's say a word. And uh, forgive me for reading this off my phone. This is very recently put on paper. <laughs> a few weeks ago, my boyfriend, whose name coincidentally is Tom, <laughs> and I took a trip to Colombia, South America. We spent the majority of our time in Cartagena. Cartagena, not Cartagena. <laughs> Saying Cartagena would be like pronouncing the S in Illinois. <laughs> Harmless enough, but if you sound just like a jerk to the people who live there, I made the mistake more than once. <laughs> Cartagena is a brilliant city that thrives on how alive with diversity it is. We stayed inside the part of town surrounded by a wall, an island of sorts in its own right. The buildings are painted in all different shades of yellows and blues and bright whites and greens. The people are all different shades and colors of browns and tans and peaches and pales. And every 10 seconds, someone tries to sell you a hat off their head. <laughs> Literally. There are men who walk around with 20-plus hats stacked on top of their heads selling them. Like, lots of men doing this. Same selection of hats on every single head. The same nine types of fedoras. <laughs> and not only hats. Every time you turn around, someone is in your face trying to tell you some, sell you something. Cheap cigars, crappy fake turquoise necklaces, tiny statues of fat horses. <laughs> and at least one guy pushing googly-eyed rubber crab magnets. <laughs> we turned it into a drinking game during an outdoor dinner one night. Each time someone interrupts the meal to try to sell you a thing, take a sip. You'll finish a beer in under three minutes easily. <laughs> I became obsessively curious about their lives and how many hats or whatever they actually sold each day and whether or not they were friends with one another. And does one actively choose googly-eyed rubber crab magnet duty? And where in the hell are all these hats coming from anyway? The streets were busy. My senses were busy. My mind was busy at any given moment. After five days, we left the walled city of Cartagena 
and took an hour-long ride on a very small boat through very large waves in very open water to a remote group of islands called Las Islas de Rosario, or Rosario Islands National Park. We booked two days at an eco-hotel run by locals on the largest island, appropriately named Isla Grande. An eco-hotel, if you are not familiar, is basically camping in grass huts. No running water, shower with a coconut shell, eat what they give you, even if it's a whole fried fish you can look in the eye. Unlike our experience in Cartagena, where being alone together was never an option, being alone together was the default here. Being around other people was more or less a choice. And it was nice to have that choice. The island was quiet, my senses were relaxed, my mind was at ease at any given moment. Our second day there, we went out to a beach, which for all intents and purposes was deserted, save a small handful of girls in bikinis taking sexy Instagram photos of one another on one of the three docks. We walked out to the very end of the empty sandy stretch to the very last dock, laid our towels down, pulled out our respective books and sat in the sun, facing the piercingly blue-green Caribbean water, which is all there was to see, which was perfectly fine for us. Out of seemingly nowhere, a group of island kids came charging down the beach into the water next to our dock with a little raft, and in the way all groups of kids act in the water, jumping, splashing, pushing one another, laughing, whatever. It was fun to see. Every other kid we'd seen on the island thus far had been doing chores at our eco-hotel, all obvious strong swimmers that were out about 25 feet, all hanging off this raft thing, having a great time. And then we noticed her. The youngest of the group, the tiniest little girl in pigtails, her sweet little pastel outfit set off by her dark brown skin, walking alone at the edge of the ocean, kicking the surf around, watching the rest of the kids in the water play from a distance. Clearly, she was too small to go out there too young and too little to keep up. For whatever reason, she eventually approached our dock and walked down it toward us and sat down near us, letting her tiny legs dangle off the side about four feet above the water. She didn't acknowledge us directly for a little while, but sat right next to us and glanced in our direction every so often, and we'd smile back. Eventually, and I don't remember if it was Tom or if it was me, but one of us eventually coupled the smile with an hola, she responded by reaching out and holding Tom's hand. Como te llamas? He asked her name. Janie, she replied. And then they had a small exchange in Spanish, which was adorable, <laughs> and which I didn't totally understand because my Spanish is abysmal <laughs> and not on par with the six-year-old's mastery of the language. <laughs> she kept her eye on the water and the other kids, and I asked Tom how to ask her if she wanted to go swimming with me, and then asked her, and she took my hand, and we walked down to the dock and got into the water together. I picked her up and put her on my hip and went about waist-deep into the ocean. Every time a wave would hit us, she would laugh and scream. One knocked us down, and we sat in the water and let ourselves get hit by more waves. She dragged Tom over to the next dock, and from a distance, I watched them lay on their stomachs, trying to figure out why the hell they were looking under the dock. And then both of them came back with a handful of slimy, albeit very pretty, snails. She was showing him where to collect sea snails. And then it was 7 o'clock, and we had to go eat dinner. We instructed her not to go into the water after we left, and she seemed to understand that we were serious about that. We waved goodbye, just as the other children were rejoining her on the beach. For the rest of my life, I will wonder what that child is doing and how she's doing. Castaway is the story of a man, played of course by Tom Hanks, who survives a plane crash and finds himself stranded all alone on a deserted island for four years. Wilson is a volleyball, <laughs> a piece of sporting equipment, an inanimate thing made to be hit. But still, what is the saddest part of Castaway? <laughs> the saddest part of Castaway is when the volleyball floats away. <laughs> <laughs> and are we crying because he lost his friend? Or are we worried about what happens to the volleyball? <laughs> <laughs> 
For me, it's both. <laughs> Wilson has become the other character because of what he's meant to Tom Hanks. Ultimately, by its absence, the story is about the value of human connection, of making human connections. And perhaps that's why it so recently resonated with me. Of all the people who approached us on this trip to Cartagena, pushing hats and jewelry and selling googly-eyed rubber crab magnets, it was this child, Janie, who wasn't trying to sell us anything at all, who inadvertently provided me the greatest souvenir I've ever taken with me from a place and a single, special, unexpected experience with another human being. I did eventually buy a shitty plastic turquoise necklace <laughs> and also a hat. <laughs> Thank you, Liz. Guys, what a sweet first half this has been. Oh my gosh. We have one more storyteller slash musician coming up before we're going to take a break. So this is fun. So in uh, 10 days from now, uh, some fun backstory on me. Uh, before I did Chicago comedy, podcasting, whatever, I used to do a one-man Bruce Springsteen tribute called My Own Boss. Yeah, baby. And, uh, and uh, with all the shit in the news about that Springsteen tribute band that was going to play the inaugural ball and then didn't, I was like, shit, maybe it's time to bring that back for a night. So I'm going to do it as a fundraiser for the ACLU at the Beat Kitchen. Uh, that is Wednesday the 29th. But the point of that plug is that this next uh, woman coming to the stage is going to be my opening act, and I'm very excited to have her on the show. This is Kaylin Bennett. Yeah. Isn't it crazy how I look just like Bruce Springsteen? So crazy. Uh, sorry, I have to set up my guitar as, uh, I kind of fucked up and didn't set it up. I also pre-apologize because I'm, like, such a vulgar human being. <laughs> like, literally before I got on stage, I was like, is it okay if I curse? Because, like, I already know who I am. Um, so, uh, oh, man, okay. So, Eric asked me to, um, tell a story and possibly play some music for the show, and um, he told me the theme was Catch Me If You Can, and I was like, God damn it, he nailed me. Because um, I'm someone that uh, I have such a hard time dealing with my bullshit. Like, <laughs> um, and I'm such a runner. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a human being that just genuinely, uh, huh, if I don't have to deal with it, like, I'm, I just don't want to. And I'm such a mover and a shaker that I always have something going on. Um, that uh, I just don't want to deal with things. And so uh, there came to a point in my life where I knew that um, I had to deal with something. Uh, and um, essentially what happened, it was about a year ago. It was actually a year ago uh, this week. Um, I was just in Colorado. And um, so on uh, on Valentine's Day last year, I, I found out that my uh, – I got this, this phone call, and it was from my parents. And also – this is fucking sad. Uh, everyone was so funny, and I'm like, God damn it, I'm the sad asshole on this stage. I was like, but it's fine, because I'm a musician, and uh, that's what we do, right? Um, <laughs> uh, so I, I got this phone call, and um, and it was from uh, it was from my dad, and uh, he said, uh, uh, Grandma is in um, Arizona, and uh, we just... Oh, man, we found out that uh, she has cancer, and um, so it was something. This I I've dealt with hardship in my life before, and I've I've been a person that like persevered. I'm someone that's just full, so full of resilience, and I always find a way to deal with shit. And um, this was something that I really had to face head on. Um, and so I found out on Valentine's Day that she had cancer. I found out the day after that she had terminal cancer, which was my dad's birthday. It was really shitty. Um, so what happened is they, uh, they opened up her, her skull and essentially, uh, they were like, we're going to remove the tumor. It's going to be fine. Um, and what happened is when they opened up her, her skull is, uh, it kind of looks like, uh, you know, when like chocolate and vanilla swirl happens on like a, like an ice cream cone. Um, it, that was her brain and tumors, unfortunately. And, um, it, and she was 69 years old and they told me that she had six months to a year to live, um, that day and uh she died a month later uh 20 actually technically 28 days 
And what had happened is I, uh, I had gone to, uh, I, she was in Arizona. Everyone had flown out besides me because I was in Chicago because everyone was in Colorado. And um, I, uh, <laughs> and they said, Kaylin, you know, she's going to be at home for a while. Let's wait for you to come out because for her, you're a lot of hope. And um, we're going to wait. And because uh, we thought she had a long time. And so I, I flew out um, about a month later to Colorado because they had flown her from Arizona to Colorado. And um, they put her in this, uh, this place between the hospital and uh, going home. And uh, I got the call right before I got on the plane that um, they said, Grandma Shelley's sleeping a lot. And when you, are, when you have terminal brain cancer, that essentially means that you're, you're getting ready to go. And um, she kind of made that decision. Um, and so what had happened, uh, so I, I, I got there, and um, she, she just had refused radiation. She had refused um, any form of medication. And, um, and it was really it was hard because this was someone that was a huge parental figure in my life. Um, and uh, this was something I really, I, I couldn't keep running from. I couldn't, I couldn't, I had to go in there. And... Um, one thing about our relationship, uh, uh, about a month prior, I'd go, I'd gone to Colorado and we had sat down together and, um, I was at her house and I was honestly dealing with some heartbreak from a relationship. And, um, and I said, uh, and she took me around her whole house and she said, I want you to look at the things, um, and pick out some things for when I go. And I said, grandma, that's fucking morbid. Like, <laughs> I was like, I was like, that's not going to happen for a long time. You're 69 years old. Um, and little did I know that she, uh, had already kind of premeditated leaving. And, um, and I remember at that conversation, I talked to her a lot about uh, making music and that was a passion of mine. And, um, I'm someone that usually I just kind of walk away from shit. I'm like, no, I'm going to do anything but deal with this. And music was a huge way I dealt with, um, <laughs> with losing her. Um, so this song is actually one of the first songs I wrote as a musician um, when I was first learning guitar, and it's called The Long Road Home, so that's what I'm going to play for you guys. So. <laughs> Cheeks. They 
lost It's a long road home for the wicked It's a long road home for the wasted It's a long road home for me Thank you <laughs> Ten bucks gets you in, and I'll go. Literally, all of the door goes to the ACLU because the B Kitchen was super nice to us. We're gonna do a Bruce song together too. I don't know which one. Uh, there's some other people out there. Dwight and I are gonna do some songs. Larissa, who's sitting out there, we're gonna do a song too. It's gonna be really cool. This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit Patreon.com/Nerdalogs to donate today, and go to www.Nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all, thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.